Well, it is an honor and a privilege to be here. I want to extend my gratitude to uh, Pastor Steve and others who made this visit possible because it is a joy for me to be here with you saints here in Houston. If you would, please turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19, and this is a fairly familiar psalm to most of us. And while we're only going to be focusing our attention on the first six verses this evening, I do want us to uh, make sure that we see the singular focus of this psalm, which is God's revelation to man. Many theologians have termed the two ways in which God reveals Himself to man as the two books of Revelation. There is the book of nature or book of creation, which is seen in verses 1-6, through and we'll cover that this evening. And then there's also the book of Scripture, which is seen in verses 7-11. through And it's to this first book, the book of nature or creation to general revelation that we will focus our attention this evening. So hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of His chamber and rejoices like a strong man run, uh, to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the under, other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Thus far the reading of God's Word, let us ask His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father God, You have called us into this place to bring our sacrifice of praise. And we have done that. And so now we sit at Your feet, O Lord, longing for the meat of the Word. So we ask that You would feed us in this moment. We ask that You would add a blessing to the reading of this Word. That You would add a blessing to the hearing of it as we sit under this Word. And now, Lord, as we come to the proclamation and preaching of this Word, we ask that You would bless that as well. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So what is general revelation? This is very likely not a term that 
you're using in your everyday speech, but it is an important one theologically. What is general revelation? Well, very simply put, general revelation is that which man can know of God apart from Scripture because it's revealed in creation. Now, to give a somewhat of the context and reasoning behind my choosing this passage, please grant me just a, a brief moment. I've had the pleasure to travel around to many different places, to many different climates, and to see many different things. I'm from northwest Alabama, and northwest Alabama has a lot of wooded areas, so I'm familiar with the woods. But I've also been to the heights of the Sierra Nevada mountains in Nevada and California, and I've gazed out over the valleys. I've stood in a foot of snow during a Pennsylvania winter. I've seen the amber waves of grain in the Midwest. And I've walked the white sand beaches of the Gulf of Mexico. I've even lived in the harsh desert of Iraq. And one thing that remains constant in all of those varying different environments is how much I came to appreciate the Lord for who He is as the Creator and Sustainer of all things. And that got me thinking. I've never heard a sermon preached on the beauty and the importance of God revealing Himself in creation. I hear sermons all the time about the written Word of God, about the primacy of the Word, about the inerrancy, the infallibility, the sufficiency of the Word. And don't get me wrong, preaching on the Word is vitally important. We need to have a right understanding of the primacy of the Word, especially in our day and age where so much is being questioned in regard to the inerrancy and the authority of Scripture. But we must be sure not to highlight the uh, important doctrine of special revelation so much so that we completely neglect the doctrine of general revelation. That which is revealed to all through creation is just as inerrant and authoritative as the written Word because it has the same source. Our covenant God makes Himself known through creation. This is general revelation. And here in our text this evening, we see general revelation spoken of in two ways. First, we see the proclamation of creation. And next, we see the presentation 
of creation. So let us turn our attention first to the proclamation of creation. Read with me once again the first four verses of our text. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line goes, has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Here, the psalmist focuses on three aspects of God that is proclaimed in creation. Creation proclaims the wonder of God. Look back at the beginning of verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. Creation itself shows forth the attributes of God. God is infinite, eternal, immutable, self-sufficient, omnipotent, Omniscient, omnipresent, good, loving, wise, faithful, merciful, gracious, holy, just, and glorious. This is what creation is proclaiming who God is. Every sun ray that shines down upon the earth tells us something about God. Every tree on this planet shows forth the person of God. Every animal that roams our land displays the splendor of His goodness, love, and graciousness. So, let's think about these things. What what of the wonder and glory of God does the birds display? Well, as I just said, it displaces goodness and love and graciousness. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? What do the crashing waves of the sea tell us of God? Well, they tell of His omnipotence as the one who separated the sea from the dry land and the one who has power even over the wind and the waves so that they too obey His voice. What of the galaxies far off in the seemingly endless expanse of the cosmos? Well, they speak of His omnipresence. And his infinitude. Because he is the sustaining, he is sustaining all things both here in Houston, where we are as we're gathered together, he is sustaining all things here, but he's also sustaining all things even in the remotest parts of the universe. Those parts of the universe that seem to have no beginning or end. And even that, the fact that the universe seems to have no beginning or end, it seems to be infinite. 
reflects back upon the Lord a characteristic of his infinitude because he is the one who truly has no beginning or end because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end himself. Do you see the wonder of God proclaimed in all creation? But it's not just the wonder of God that creation proclaims. It is the work of God that is proclaimed as well. Look at the latter half of verse 1. And the firmament shows His handiwork. The very work of God's hands is proclaimed through the fruit of that work. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, creation proclaims God's handiwork because it is itself a work of God's hand. And you'd be right. But creation proclaims so much more of God's handiwork than simply that He is the Creator. What does the snow falling in its perfect white blankets proclaim concerning God's handiwork. That pure white snow proclaims the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing power of God to remove the sin, the stain of sin and to make you white as snow. Psalm 51.7 says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What of the leaves of the plants? What do they teach us of the handiwork of God? Do they not declare the work of God in covering our nakedness and hiding our shame as He did with our first parents, Adam and Eve? Everything around you in this world proclaims the Lord's handiwork. What He has done in acts of creation and providence and how He has worked to bring about salvation for His people. Do you see the work of God proclaimed in all creation? Creation proclaims the wonder of God, the work of God, and now the Word of God. Creation proclaims the Word of God. The creation speaks. Not in an audible way, but it does speak. The testimony of God comes by way of the glory that is proclaimed in this world. Verse 2. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. The continual aspect of the language of this verse speaks to the never-ending proclamation of the Word of God in creation. The Hebrew phrase here, translated as utters, has in it the thought of pouring out or, or welling over with speech as though days and nights were but as a fountain 
flowing forever with the Lord's praise. This proclamation of the word goes forth. And we see it continuing on in verses 3 and 4. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. On this note, Calvin writes, different nations differ from each other as to language, but the heavens have a common language to teach all men without distinction. Nor is there anything but their own carelessness to hinder even those who are most strange to each other and who live in the most distant parts of the world from profiting, as it were, at the mouth of the same teacher. Creation has a common language that all men understand. And it's only through their own willful ignorance that they don't understand it, that they don't hear it. There is not one square inch in all of the created universe where this word of God proclaimed through creation is not heard. But this proclamation of creation, it's not enough. It is insufficient in itself. It does not reveal the totality of what man is to know of God and salvation. It is sufficient only to condemn. As we saw in Romans 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because What may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Creation has so made God known that all men everywhere are without an excuse. There's no such thing as an atheist. Spurgeon puts it beautifully in only the way that Spurgeon can. He says, He who looks up to the firmament and then writes down, writes himself down as an atheist, brands himself at the same moment as an idiot or a liar. There are no atheists because you can't look out there and look at those trees or look at that sky and say there is no God 
without either being a fool or a liar. And you're both, if that's what you claim. Only a fool would say that there is no God because the evidence is right there plain to see. Man in his natural state only knows enough about God as revealed in creation to damn him to hell. And this is why we cannot neglect special revelation. This is why the primacy is placed on the written word. Because that is where the way of salvation is made known. Creation can't tell you the magnitude of your sins, but the Word can. Creation can't tell you your need for a Savior, but the Word can. Creation can't tell you to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, but the Word can. And if you're here today and you're not trusting in Christ, heed the testimony of all creation and hear the call of the Lord from His Word. Repent and believe the Gospel. Because if you don't, then on that last day, that great day of judgment, the Lord will call upon even creation itself to testify against you as a witness in your judgment. Because you will have denied even their testimony. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is the proclamation not just of creation, but of God Himself. And at the end of verse 4, David goes on to make a shift from speaking of the proclamation of creation to now speaking of the presentation of creation. Here we get a glimpse of the beauty of creation through the use of poetic language. The end of verse 4 reads, In them He has set a tabernacle for the sun. This section focuses on the sun, pointing to the universality of general revelation. Now he speaks of that universality towards the end of our passage, so we're going we're gonna to move on and come back to that in just a second. But in speaking of the sun, he is speaking of general revelation as a whole. He is using the image of the sun to represent all that creation reveals. And he does this using two similes in our passage, that of the bridegroom and that of a runner. So let's look first to the bridegroom. David says, In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Here we see a bit of the beauty of general revelation, of this book of creation. There is a longing and an anticipation that's envisioned here where the groom is coming out of his chamber and he is going to be with his bride. 
knowing that the consummation of that union is near. And so it is with general revelation going forth as the rays of the sun, longing to be joined with those who rightly receive it and bearing fruit. But this image is also a picture of Christ and the church. As the light of the sun goes out in the morning with its activity and it communicates life and happiness to all things around it like a bridegroom dressed in his wedding attire going forth from his chamber to his bride, so it is at his carnation did Christ Jesus, the promised bridegroom, visit his church. And Christ, being clothed Himself, clothes her, the church, in the robe of righteousness, which Scripture refers to as the marriage garment. So here we see this image of the Son describing general revelation going out, but it also is describing Christ coming to us. And the other comparison is to that of a runner. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run his race. This general revelation of God goes forth and it does not return void. It always serves its purpose. It always does its job. When a runner goes out and he runs his race just as he is trained, just as he is supposed to do, he rejoices in it. And the runner in a race has a sense of urgency and a sense of responsibility. And so it is with the Son as he as we see in uh, Ecclesiastes 1.5, the sun also rises and goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. It has a purpose. And it fulfills that purpose with haste. And using this imagery of the sun to speak of general revelation, we can make the connection there as well. Because this is how it is with general revelation, which goes forth continually, day after day, because it has a purpose. It goes out to proclaim God, His wonder, His works, and His Word. And it does it with joy. It gladly goes out day after day because that is the purpose for which God created it. And this purpose is accomplished in a universal way. Continuing with that illustration of the sun, the psalmist goes on to say, its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. There is nothing on earth which does not feel the effects of the sun in some sense, either by light or heat or radiation. 
The sun penetrates through everything. And remember, the sun is simply an illustration for general revelation. If this is true of creation itself, that it penetrates into everything, then it must be true that the revelation of that revelation which the creation proclaims. There's nothing to which that revelation of God does not penetrate. That revelation of God penetrates to the very heart and core of every human being on this planet. And just as the sun penetrating into all the earth has varying effects based on what it reaches, so too does general revelation. The same sun that melts the snow after a winter storm hardens the clay after a spring rain. The same sun that causes the crops to grow providing food for the earth causes the fields to rage and burn from its heat. There is no escaping the heat of the sun and so there is no escaping the heat of God's revelation. There will come a day when all men will be held accountable for their lives. And as we already saw earlier in Romans 1, that the attributes of God are plainly manifest so as to leave man without excuse. The general revelation that goes forth throughout all the earth will serve to either melt the heart of stone, softening man to the gospel, or it will serve to hardening the heart so that man will rebel more and more against the truth that they already know. The general revelation of God will either cause the seed of faith to grow, bearing fruit of the gospel in man's life, or it will ravage man as a wildfire, causing death and destruction to those who are not outside of his wrath. Immediately after Paul's explanation of general revelation rendering man without excuse, he writes of the end result in Romans 2. Therefore you are inexcusable. For as many as have sinned without law will also also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. There will come a day when all men will stand before the great white throne of judgment. 
And unless the people in this world who only have the light of nature are warned of the end that's to come, they cannot know what's coming. This is your duty, believer. You have a responsibility to go out and to warn those in this world who are blinded by their sin and who can't see the wrath to come. You have a burden to proclaim salvation to those who are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. What are you doing to fulfill that responsibility? Here in a city of nearly two and a half million people, what are you doing to reach them with the gospel? The day is coming when they will no longer be warned. The day is coming when your voice will no longer be heard in this world. The day is coming when unbelievers will be cast into the lake of fire and will feel the immense heat of the revelation that they have rejected. But brothers and sisters, that day is not right now. There is still hope for those who are not of us. And until that day comes, you have the responsibility to proclaim the Gospel, to warn people of the wrath to come, and to call them to repentance. Do not neglect such a great responsibility. I know that the the doctrine of general revelation can sometimes be simply a topic of theological discussion. Something for us to simply pontificate over in our studies or in our backyard discussions. But there must be some practicality to it. Doctrine must lead to doxology. Orthodoxy must lead to orthopraxy. Or to put it in simple terms, what is true must impact what you do. So I want us to leave here with five practical truths of this great doctrine. First, creation is a source of comfort for us. Creation is a source of comfort for us. And this is because the God who made all things, who created the the sun and the moon and the stars, the God who planted every plant and causes the wind and the rains to come, is sovereign over all things. Sovereignty of God is a source of comfort. We have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. Nothing happens outside of God's sovereign hand. And this general revelation tells us this. That we have nothing to fear. That He is sovereign over all. We just have to have ears to hear what it's saying. Be comforted by the God who is sovereign over all things.
But not only that, creation should cause us to wonder at God. The heavens declared the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Oh, the wonder of our covenant God put on display. Think about creation. Our sun is 93 million miles away. The furthest star in the Milky Way galaxy is over 75,000 light years away. And that's just our own galaxy. It's estimated that there are over 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. And guess what? God is greater than that. Because He is the one who made the universe. He is the one who put those galaxies in place. He is the one who knows all two trillion galaxies and every star within them and He knows them by name. And this God is our God. And He is our Creator. And this should cause us to wonder at the work of God. Wonder at what He is, who He is, and what He has done. Calvin says, When a man from beholding and contemplating the heavens has been brought to acknowledge God, he will learn also to reflect upon and to admire His wisdom and power as displayed on the face of the earth, not only in general, but even in the minutest of plants. If you rightly understand this general revelation, if you rightly receive it for what it is, then looking at the sky will cause you to wonder, but even looking at the ant on the ground will cause you to wonder. Everything... From the largest thing, the observable universe itself, to the smallest quark in an atom proclaims God. How can you not wonder at it? It's not just the expanse of the universe that causes us to wonder, but every single aspect of creation. Creation ought to strike in us a sense of of wonder for who God is and His mighty acts. Next, general revelation affects how we do apologetics. Now, apologetics is the defense of the faith. This is answering questions concerning Christian doctrine. And if this doctrine of general revelation is true, then we have the consciences of men on our side because every man innately knows that there is a God. There's something within man that can be brought to the surface and used against his own attempts at dismantling the faith. Most people know right and wrong. They have a natural moral compass 
They already know the Ten Commandments, even if they can't tell you what they are because nature has revealed it to them. And the law of God is written on their hearts as we have seen in Romans 2. This is something that can be utilized in defending the faith. Appeal to the conscience. Make the person say that they don't know what it is that they're trying to talk about. Show them their folly. Make the person realize how foolish they are in contradicting themselves. Show them that they, in their innermost being, don't even believe the blasphemies that they are claiming to be true. And then hit them with the gospel. And this brings us to our next point of application. General revelation affects how we do evangelism and missions. If we don't tell people about Jesus, they won't know the way of salvation. We've already seen that general revelation reveals enough of the attributes and characteristics of God that man is left without excuse. You may be in a situation, you may find yourself in a situation where you will have to say something to an unbeliever, where you will have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone. And if they don't hear it, if you don't proclaim it to them and they never hear that gospel of Jesus Christ, then they will never know the state that they find themselves in as unbelievers. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We should all be sharing the Gospel with those around us. This doctrine of general revelation ought to affect how we do it. Whether locally or globally. Because we know that without the proclamation of the Gospel, that general revelation only leaves man without hope. And then finally, our fifth point of application. We should be thankful that we're not left with just general revelation. We need something more. General revelation is insufficient for faith and life. We can't just end at verse 6 in Psalm 19 and neglect what follows. General revelation must be accompanied by special revelation. And thank God that He has given us special revelation. Do you love the Word of the Lord? Do you meditate on His law day and night? Do you realize that without the Word of the Lord, that you would be just like everyone else, lost and condemned by the insufficiency of the knowledge of general revelation? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And be thankful that you are not left with just general revelation, but that you know that the way of salvation comes 
through Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, as you, as you look upon the trees and the birds, the moon and the stars, as the rain falls and the wind howls, as the heat of the sun reaches your skin, remember that this creation is a means by which God is revealing Himself to you. Never lose sight of His wonder, works, and word proclaimed in His creation. Never cease to be amazed at the beauty and strength of how creation is presented to you. And always remember that this truth of general revelation has a direct impact on how you are to live your life as you walk out of these doors. Let us be driven by all of God's revelation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You that You have given us Your Word. And that through Your Word, You have brought light and understanding, eyes to see and ears to hear. So that when we look at this general revelation, we can rightly see who you are and what you have done. And let us never lose sight of this. So let us go forth rejoicing that you have given us the fullness of revelation in creation and in the word. And that we have the spirit dwelling within us which bears witness to that revelation. Bless us as we continue in our worship this evening. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.